Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. I love Chosen um, because it does speak to us a lot about uh, the way that God works. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'll read this real quick. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship or or to be sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. A lot of people struggle with the idea that God has chosen you. There's not one person in this room that falls outside of God's choosing. And the reason we struggle so much is because if we look at the way most decisions are made in life, most decisions are made based on qualifications. If you wanna go get a loan, they're gonna pull up your credit score. And that credit score will tell them whether or not you qualify to get that loan. If you wanna get a job, you have to give them a resume and they're gonna look at your qualifications to see if you can do the job. If you want to go to college, they're going to look at your GPA, your transcripts, and they're looking at your qualifications. They want to know, are you qualified to do those things? Even in sports, we would know that they study every single thing, every single stat about a player, uh, even their, their, their body, every little, their weight. Uh, for example, you might have seen the meme out there from Joe Burrow who says he's retiring from football because his hands are too small to hang on to the football. And what they told Joe Burrow uh, in college before the NFL was that his hands were too small that he wasn't gonna make it in the NFL. So they're studying all these stats because in the world, before any decision is made, they look at your qualifications. Are you qualified for this? And if you're qualified, then guess what? You'll be chosen. I'm not so sure that that's even wrong because as human beings, the only thing that we have is someone's past. We can look at their past accomplishments, what they've done, and we would know that that past performance is a great predictor of their future. And so as people, that's all we have. But in the kingdom, when it comes to the way God does things, he's never chosen anyone who was qualified first. As a matter of fact, I would even say this, that your idea of that you're unqualified doesn't disqualify you with God. That's not how God works. When God goes to choose someone, he's not looking for their qualifications. In the kingdom, it's just the opposite. And this is why. When God enters our life, when he begins to do a work with us, he knows the future. We go back and we say, okay, based on this past thing, what's, what's, the future going to look like. We're taking past things and we're trying to determine what the future is going to look like. We study history so we can know what the future is going to look like. But God doesn't do it that way. He goes all the way to the end. He knows the future and then he works back from there. That's how God does things. So think about in your life, how different would your decisions be if you knew the future? What kind of stock decisions would you make today if you knew it was going to happen tomorrow? What kind of relationship decisions would you make if you knew everything about the person you needed to know that you're connecting with? How many of you can go into your life and say, man, if I would have known then what I know now. And we think that that's because we've experienced some things that were wiser and we're more experienced. Some of that might be true, but what we're really saying is if I could have gone back to when I wasn't and know the future, I would have made some different decisions. Think about so many things that you do in life. If you had a knowledge of the future, how different would your decisions be? What games would you maybe bet on? I'm not encouraging you to gamble, but if you knew the future. And God knows the future. And he makes decisions not by looking at your past, he makes decisions based on he already knows the future. 
Think about this. The apostle Simon Peter, Jesus shows up in his life and he says this to him. He says, hey, listen, I need you to know that you're going to fail. You're going to fail miserably. You're going to fail so miserably that, that multiple times in, a, in, a, in, in, the, night, in the night, you're going you're gonna to add up so many failures that when the rooster crows, you'll have failed three times. Could you imagine being the apostle Simon Peter? You said you would never deny him. Now it's happened. You failed three times. You hear the rooster crow and it hits you that Jesus knew the future and he knew that you would fail. But what did Jesus also say? He said, hey, listen, after you return, when you return, when you overcome the failure, when you get over the mistakes that you've made, when you do that, I want you to feed my lambs. So not only did Jesus know he would fail, but Jesus also knew that he could overcome that failure. And, and the reason that God chooses the unlikely is because we say someone's unlikely based on their past, but God looks at the unlikely and he knows their future. So he knows how to pull them through things and he chooses based on that. The Bible teaches how Samuel would go to Jesse's house and God had told him to anoint a new king. And he goes to Jesse's house. And Jesse marches in the first son. And Samuel says, that's not it. He marches in the second son. He says, no, that's not it. And the qualifications, the outward qualifications of these sons is beginning to stagger Samuel that God is not choosing them. And he's saying, listen, these, these sons that we've looked at, you don't get any better than that. You, you, you don't get any more qualified than these men. Their, their skills in battle, uh, their outward appearance, uh, all their capacity, their potential is significant. We don't, we can't get, and they marched the third and they marched the fourth. And then God finally tells Samuel, listen, you're looking at the outward appearance. That's not how I do things. I don't choose based upon the qualifications that you use. They march the fifth son, the sixth son, the seventh son. And then Jesse throws up his hands and says, this is all I got. And Samuel says, is there not another son? He says, oh, there's the David. But, but he's not anyone you would want to talk to. He's not one you would want to look like. like he, he doesn't have the qualifications. And Samuel says, I want to talk to him. It's so important that we realize that when it comes to God's choosing, he doesn't look at our qualifications. The Bible actually says that we did not choose him, he chose us. It goes one step further and it says this about his choosing that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God did not wait for us to have it all together to choose us. God doesn't wait for us all together for us to choose. It says while we were yet sinners. I could go back. I didn't know how to be faithful. I didn't know how to be in integrous. I didn't know how to be sincere. I didn't, know how to, I didn't know how to not be selfish. I didn't know how to not covet and lie and hate and live. In, I didn't know how to do any of that. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to take a second and I want you to think about this that Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Today we're gonna look at this series, this idea of the chosen, and it starts out off with this idea. If you'll follow him, he'll make you. I don't know what you think that you need to be for God to accept you, love you, he's already chosen you. You follow him. And there's just a way that he begins to make you into the man, the woman that you need to be through that simple, obedient step of I'll follow him. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we give you these next few minutes. We give you this service. Open up your word to our hearts, our minds, our lives. Speak to us in a unique and personal way like only you can through your word today. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to not let us leave here the same way that we came in. Let us each leave here growing in knowledge and revelation concerning your love for us and your call on each of our lives and the fact that you have chosen us in Jesus' name. Amen.
I adjure you by the holy angels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Uriel, and Raziel. I adjure you, cursed dragon, diabolical legions. Come out! I adjure you, spawn of Beelzebub, abandon and Sheol, by the utterance of all the watchers and the holy ones. In the name of Adonai, God of the heavens, cease to deceive this human creature. I command you, in covenant with Abraham, in the names of Jacob, Isaac, Moses, the all-powerful El Shaddai. Fly from this innocent soul!
So did it work? I'm sorry, Lilith. Elias? What? We should talk, huh? Leave me alone. Oh, what, huh? It's going to scratch me too. Oh, come on. Not now. So see. Not now. She smells anyway. I don't know what else I can do to help you. Give me that. Lots of it. That's not going to solve your problems. It's meant to distract from no them. No more preaching. Just give it to me. Lilith, please listen to what I'm says the Lord who created you and he who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You Magdalene is potentially one of the most unqualified people we would have the opportunity to even, even talk about. She lets us know that the devil is real, that Satan is real, that demons are real. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said one of the greatest lies that the devil has ever sold us is that he doesn't exist. And the Bible says that she had seven demons, just speaking of the, the fierceness and how extreme the attacks of the enemy were on her life. And when you think about Mary and you think about all the things that were at her life, I love that Jesus brings back into her life, Isaiah 43. And he says, I formed you. I've created you. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. I want you to notice the big part that's left out in that verse. Goes back before she ever breathed her first breath. I've created you, I've formed you. Then he seems to completely ignore the fact that she's had this massive span of life that's led to the place that she is. He doesn't even talk to her about that. He talks to her about, I've redeemed you and I've called you by name. <laughs> 
which is what I love about God. I love how he seems to have this way of ignoring all the things that we think make up our life, our experiences, the events, what people have done to us, the mistakes we've made. It's almost like he doesn't pay any attention. I've created you. I formed you. He's taking her back before she was ever born. Let's just take just a second and talk about how this works in all of our lives. Before you were ever even born, culture, uh, people, events, all kinds of things were at work to put a label on your life. Before you were ever born, labels, you're black, you're white, you're American, you're African, um, labels, uh, you're poor, you're rich, you're wanted, you're not wanted. We could keep, and to every label that's given to you and I, we inherit the baggage that comes along with that label. That baggage is something that we carry throughout our life. That baggage tells us who we are, who we can be, who we can't be. And for Mary, Notice that Jesus never talks to her about these labels that were handed to her. He never enters her life and says, oh, yeah, 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 Uh, you're filled with demons. Let's talk about the demons. Let's talk about how many. Let's let's Mary. Can you talk to me about where where did you go wrong? What decisions did you make? Uh, What kind of experience? What 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 opens you up? your life up. What cracked the door to these demons? He doesn't even talk to her about, yes, she had demons, but he's not, he delivers her from them, but he's not talking to her about them. He doesn't want to dig into all the reasons why she has them. He doesn't, he doesn't even talk to her about what her occupation was, which most scholars would agree. There's no clear evidence of this, but most scholars would agree that she was a prostitute. He doesn't say, Hey, can you talk to me about your prostitution. Can you talk to me about this occupation that you've chosen? So he doesn't address her based on demons that are attacking her life, though she has them. He doesn't address her based upon her occupation as a prostitute, though that's what she is. He calls her by her name, Mary. And he says, I formed you. I created you. He's taking her back before the labels showed up. Because really, all labels are are a false narrative that try to keep you and I locked into a lesser form of life. All labels are designed to do is to try to lock you in and make you think that you can never be any different than what you are right now. But Jesus shows up, delivers Mary from those demons. She remains extremely close to Jesus from that point forward. The same way the apostle Simon Peter would lead the apostles, Mary would lead the women that would follow Jesus's ministry for three plus years. Mary would be there uh, anointing his feet uh, with her tears, washing his feet with her hair. Mary would be the one that many people would have a problem with Jesus because he allowed someone like her to be so close to him and they just couldn't understand how could this religious figure be close to someone with this kind of a past and these kind of a label, these kind of labels. They, they didn't understand why he would be close to someone like that. But you continue to find Mary never be looked at by Jesus based upon the labels that people gave her. She was close to him when all the other disciples ran in fear. When Jesus was arrested, Mary was right there. She was there in the Sanhedrin court when they announced that Jesus's death sentence would be death by crucifixion on a cross. She didn't run. She didn't leave. She stayed there. She was there as he was being crucified and hung on that cross. She was there comforting him at that moment, and she would be the very first person that would be at the tomb the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And of all the people that Jesus could have chose to show up to first, he chose Mary of Magdalene. And he said, I want you to go and tell the others that I am risen. And this is the point. God chose Mary. He chose her. She wasn't qualified. Nothing about her life All the labels said there's no way this person should ever be used in a great way by God. But many of the articles that I read considered Mary an apostle to the apostles. 
that Jesus would put her in such a place of priority and prestige that she would be the one that would deliver the message that he has risen to even his disciples. Maybe you can relate to Mary today. Maybe you say, man, my past, the stuff that I'm involved with, and you look at it and you're, maybe you don't feel like you've got seven demons, but, but the darkness, uh, the depression, uh, the depravity, when you look at your life and you think about the things that you've done, maybe you can relate to Mary. Can I just challenge you today that God uses people that no one else ever think that God should, should use. God uses, and not just uses, but chooses the unqualified. I want us to continue to watch uh, this series unfold as we look at the life of Nicodemus. It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I'm, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. I just want to understand how it happened. That makes two of us. <laughs> how long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so? Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? <laughs> he, he performs miracles and seeks no credit? Well, what does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. Shabbat Shalom, Nicodemus. Shabbat Shalom, Mary. Are you the one they call John the Baptizer? Multiple demons. I saw it myself. They jeered at me from inside her mouth. Nothing could be done for her short of a miracle. And she won't say who restored her. He did not reveal his name to her. <laughs> what? What? It has begun. What has? If he's healing in secret now, the public signs cannot be far off. Public signs? What? You know him? You can say that. What's his name? Who has ascended into heaven and come back down? I asked his name. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Don't call Solomon to me, you wild mongrel. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Finish. No, you answer me first. Teacher of Israel. Finish the oracle of Agur, son of Jekyll. Who 
has established all the ends of the earth. What, what is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. You are careless with Torah. God does not have a son except Israel. Israel is his only son. All of us. Suit yourself. You know, they'll put a man to death for blasphemy like that. Who will? You? It'd be a terrible precedent for Rome to adjudicate. I should never have come here. All your life you've been asleep. Make straight the way for the king. He is here to awaken the earth. But some will not want to waken. They're in love with the dark. I wonder which one you'll be. Now, if this man is anything like you believe, or if he exists at all, you should leave this region. Your presence alone puts him in danger. If you think he needs my help, you've heard nothing. All my life, I've been asleep, wandering, wandering. Behind a veil of closed eyes, I've taken refuge inside a fortress of stones I've built around my heart. Because it's easier to keep things out than it is to let things in. And to believe in something real would mean no more playing pretend, start practicing my surrender and let down my defense. I guess the hardest part of thinking something new is letting old thoughts end. Make straight the way for the king to awaken the earth. Why is it I can make sense of the parting of the sea, but not a virgin birth? And what madness is in a man to not seek glory for miracles? Does he not see their influence? Does he not know their worth? Instead, he walks among the unworthy, his feet covered in dirt, healing the souls of the unhealable, regardless of what they do for work. Lilith, no, Mary, how can it be? I just saw her cursed. Only God could take her hurt. Only God can make her whole. So maybe there's more to my God than just a line and a verse. More than grand buildings for worship and prayers to rehearse. Something real and inside us. It just needs faith first. Faith first. More like face first. What if I don't know the words? I've always known the words. All I know is I've been asleep, but now I'm starting to see. Either I'll be in love with the dark, or my heart will be set free. I feel a void inside me, like I'm missing a piece. Could this man be the answer, and how can we meet? I have questions to ask him, what secrets he keeps. Is he here to bring chaos, or truly bring peace? Some will want him silenced, and some will believe. I guess I'm asking myself, which one will I be? I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin from spiritual death. God loves the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about Sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. 
It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me. See more. Follow you. Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I, I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to, to give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and wonder. He can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. You don't have to do that. What are you doing? Kiss the sun. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. <laughs> Nicodemus had probably one of the most famous conversations in all the scripture with Nicodemus. We heard a little bit of that conversation that just happened in John chapter three, where Nicodemus is trying to understand how to, um, how to go to heaven, trying to understand eternity. And Jesus has this conversation with him about you must be born again. And then he says that behind this concept is that God in no way is introducing this to condemn the world, just the opposite, that the world through him would be saved. And then he says, John three sixteen, probably the most quoted scripture in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. What I want you to see is Jesus was making it clear that people will go to hell unsaved, but no one will go to hell unloved. You see, what we have with Nicodemus is we have a man who understood what it meant to follow Christ. He understood what it meant to, to have the invitation. But the Bible calls him a secret disciple, a secret disciple. In other words, he's like many people that are here today. He just had external pressure, so he couldn't go too far with it. You know, he had positions, he had obligations, he had family responsibilities, he had all these things in life, these external pressures. So, so he was what they called a secret disciple. He followed Jesus, but there was kind of like a question mark surrounding his life. He was a good man. He was a religious man. He respected Jesus, but there was a question mark when it came to his life. He wasn't an enemy of the cross. He wasn't an adversary to the things of God. It's just, there just was a question mark when it came to his life. There was a question mark when it came to, was he really a disciple? We would know that Nicodemus would be in the court session that was being held where they were trying to sentence Jesus to death. And it was Nicodemus who spoke up and said, we should at least hear from him first. And everyone immediately ignored him. He didn't push back. He just kind of went with the flow. After Jesus died, Nicodemus would be there with Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of Jesus off of the cross. He would wrap the body in linen. He would provide spices to anoint Jesus's body for burial. But then he just disappears. We never hear about Nicodemus again. A lot of people think that it was a sincere, he had a sincere relationship with God, that, that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. But the truth is we don't really know for sure. There was just a question mark when it came to his life. I love the Bible. It says it like this, that many are called, but few are chosen. Many are, so, so how can I make sure that I'm not just someone that is like Nicodemus where I've been called, but I need to make sure that I've been chosen, right? That's why we're here. How does God go about choosing us? We said he chooses you. Even if you're unqualified, we looked at Mary. Now we're looking at Nicodemus. No one has more qualifications than this guy. He's, he's part of the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee. He is, he is at the top of the religious social class of his day. There's no one more qualified than him, but we're not really sure was he chosen. We don't really have any scripture that says for sure that Nicodemus was a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We can think that he is. We can hope that he is. But again, there's a question mark there. So how, how are you and I chosen? Many are called, few are chosen. The word called just means there's been an invitation given. And there's a parable that happens about a wedding right after that scripture is mentioned. And it just helps us understand that the invitation goes out. Many are called. The invitation's gone out to the whole world. But few are chosen. And it implies that few accept the invitation. D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, the whosoever wills are the chosen. The whosoever will nots are the not chosen. In other words, God has predestined it that all men, every single man and woman be saved. But Satan has predestined that every man and woman be damned. And God left you the casting vote. You see, God chose you. He didn't choose you because you were qualified. He chose you out of his own good pleasure because he loves you and I in spite of us, but we have to make the choice. He chose us. Will you choose him? Let's continue to watch Nicodemus.
This should be everyone. Everyone's here? Yes, this is all of us. Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. Go for it to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall. Simon is correct. Let's go. stay standing for just a few more moments and if I could ask you to not uh, slip out unless it's an absolute emergency um, 
And also, could you just, you mind bowing your head and closing your eyes? Even though I'm talking, I know to everybody, I do think that moments like this should be a personal one. In other words, whoever you came with, this is not really between you and them. You know, I want, I want to give you a moment um, to do business with God, you and him. What have you done with the invitation? You know, the idea that you should be running to the mercy seat. A lot of people run from mercy. They just run from the love of God. They run from the grace of God. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's deception. Maybe it's a callous, hard heart. Maybe it's just the culture and the way of the world. But wherever you're at, is it time to maybe start running towards mercy instead of running away from it? In just a moment, we're going to pray and give anybody that's here an opportunity to receive that mercy, that grace, that forgiveness. It's possible that you're here and you'd say, Marcus, I never put my faith in Christ. I've never put my trust in Christ. Maybe you're there watching in Cincinnati or you're watching online and you'd say, Marcus, I'm not right with Jesus Christ. I've been running away from God, running away from his plan for my life. But you found your way into church today. You're here. Maybe you're not qualified. Maybe you can relate to Mary. You're the, the furthest imaginable from God. Or maybe you're like Nicodemus and you have some religious background. Maybe your dad's a Baptist preacher. Maybe your mom's a praying Catholic. But your faith is still a question mark. Your decision to follow Jesus Christ on your own is still a question mark. And today you'd say, I need to run to the mercy seat. You'd say, I need forgiveness. I need a new beginning. I need a new start. No one's looking around. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to humiliate you. But if you're here today and you'd say, Marcus, I need to get right with God. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. You say, why should I slip my hand up? Even there in Cincinnati, why, why would I slip my hand up? You're just saying yes. You're saying yes to God. You're saying yes to a new beginning. You're saying yes to the invitation that's gone out. You're saying yes to the idea that he chose you, that he's calling you, that he has a plan for you. He has a future for you. He, he's not dealing with you based on your labels. It's amazing to me how many people say, man, I can't do that God thing because of if you knew what was going on in my life, maybe the label is addict. Maybe the label is a person that's filled with a life of ruined relationships. Maybe, maybe you're lonely. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe, maybe you just find yourself just wounded or disenfranchised, or maybe, maybe you're just filled with questions and doubts. And in your mind, you're just like, man, I, I'm just not where, where I need to be, but that's not how you get right with God. The Bible says you come just like you are. You come as you are with questions and failures and mistakes and doubts. All your history, you come just like you are. You don't try to fix it. You don't get good. You don't try to get perfect. You don't try to become what you think is a Christian. And then you'll start coming to church. You don't do any of that. You come just like you are. A mess, possibly. A wreck, but you come just like you are. And God loves to choose people that are unqualified, that feel inadequate, that feel like they don't measure up, that feel like their life is a mess. How could God ever want someone like them? You're the exact person he chooses. If you're here, you say, Marcus, I need to get right with God. I want to run to the mercy seat. On the count of three, lift your hand as high as you can. One, two, three. Would you lift that hand quickly, quickly, quickly? Many hands going up there in Cincinnati. Lift your hand quickly, quickly. Don't keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Many, many hands are going up all across this room. I see hands. I see hands. Come on, lift it unashamedly. Lift it unashamedly quickly. If you hesitated, you just want to get right with God. You want to be at peace with God. You're, you're saying, yes, I want to, I want to 
receive that invitation that's gone out to me today to be his son, to be his daughter, according to his love and his will and his pleasure. God wants nothing more than to see your life be clean and made brand new. And that happens by you just simply saying yes. As you lift your hand, I believe that's a moment of faith. I believe that's a moment where God sees it. It's not the end, but it is a big beginning. All across this room with hands lifted. Maybe you lifted your hand and you put it down. Maybe you haven't lifted your hand, but you want to. Or maybe your hand is still lifted. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing as we continue to sing this song. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and get into the aisle. And the church is going to celebrate with you. This is why I'm going to ask you to do that. The Bible says that if you're ashamed of him in front of Ben, he'll be ashamed of you in front of the Father. And this is the point. This is what God's trying to get us to understand. He's trying to get us to understand. Don't be secret about this. Don't be the person with the question mark. Don't be the kind of person that's afraid to take a stand for him in front of people. Because if you struggle with that in here, can I help you out? You're going to struggle a whole lot out there when you have to make a stand for Jesus Christ. And I can promise you this. I can promise you this. If you lifted your hands and you said yes to him, he wants to meet you, but I want you to get out of that seat wherever you're at, and I want you to come down here quickly. In your spirit, I want you to come running to mercy. If you lifted your hand quickly, come. Come on, if you, li if you lifted your hand, I want to challenge you. Don't stop. Take that next step quickly. Come on, church, let's celebrate as they come. Come on, we're celebrating. I made this decision. I made this walk. I came forward. I've done what you've done. Come on, let's continue to celebrate. You guys can come. Come on, quickly come. Hey, if someone was with you, if somebody's beside you, maybe ask them if you want, if they want you to come with them. So if you saw someone raise their hand, just ask them. Say, hey, I'll go up with you. Come on, let's continue to celebrate as they come. You guys go ahead and come up a little bit. came forward, for all of you that maybe lifted your hand and you hesitated coming forward, there's still some that are coming. We want to do a couple things real quick. Why don't you guys just go ahead and come up a little bit more so I can, so I can see who you are. Come on, let's give them one more good hand clap. So again, Jesus... Um, had the conversation with them about being born again. The world makes fun of that concept, and I understand why, but it's a simple concept. It's a basic thing. If you're a child or you're a, you're a mother, you have a baby, you would know that you have to take care of that baby. Right? You would know that that baby needs help, especially early on, right? And so it is. As you're born in the natural, that was the first birth. But being born again is the second birth. It's a spiritual birth, and it's the same way. I can look around and see you guys are smart people. You're intelligent people. You're accomplished people. But spiritually speaking, this is a step, and you're kind of like a baby when it comes to spiritual things. All that means is that it's really hard for a baby to survive on their own, right? So it's hard for you to survive without letting us say, hey, can we help you? So you coming forward is part of our way of saying, hey, we want to help you. So we gave you that book. 
We're going to pray with you. I've got friends that are behind you. They're going to do everything they can to maybe get a phone number, not because we're trying to be marketers or any of that kind of stuff. We just want to text you and make sure you're good. Can we pray with you? And that's simply all it is. And they're going to invite you to Tuesday night, which is just kind of like a welcome home party. Just We're going to all get together. We're going to come hang out for a little bit, talk to one another, and see what we can do to help you take another step. If you're going through a grieving time, if you're going through an addicted time, if you're going through whatever you're going through, maybe you've just lost a loved one, we want to help you take some steps. Does that sound good? So we're going to pray. We're going to pray in just a minute, but we always like to tell people to think about three things. One, remember today marks the rest of your life. Today marks a brand new beginning. You'll remember your past. You'll remember your sin. You remember it all. (laughs) But the Bible says God throws it into the sea of forgetfulness, that he remembers it no more. I don't know how he does it, because I look back and I see how messed up, you know, I look at all my mess ups, but he doesn't see that. Second, you ask for forgiveness. That's what the Bible says. If you're faithful to confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. So we're going to do that in just a moment. Second thing, remember that other people aren't necessarily going to understand this decision. People that are friends, maybe even family members, are not going to understand this decision. Love them, pray for them, invite them to church. You don't have to excommunicate them, but don't let anyone come in between you and your relationship with God. I can remember a lot of people didn't understand when I said, when I told them, hey, I'm not going to go get high with you. I'm not going to go party with you. I'm not going to get drunk with you. I'm not going to do those things with you anymore. They didn't understand what I was saying, that I'm going to church now. You're reading the Bible now. They didn't get it. But listen, it's okay. Pray for them, love them, but don't let them come in between you and your relationship with God. And I know right now you're going to see, like, well, who are my friends? How am I going to do this? God's got brand new relationships. We hope that they come too, but he's got incredible relationships for you. So don't worry about that. God's got everything you need in store. Uh, relationally. And then just be in the house of God. Be in the house of God. Be here through Chosen. Be here for Easter. Don't stop here. Can I challenge you to do that? Amen. Let's all put our hands on our hearts. So you said yes. You lifted your hand. You had the faith and the courage to come forward, or maybe you're still out there. You had the faith and the courage to lift your hand. And now the Bible says that you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. So we're going to lead you through this prayer. The whole church is going to pray it. It's a simple prayer. It's not the ending point, but it is the beginning point of this new relationship that you're going to have with the Lord. So say this with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross, for shedding your blood for my sin. Thank you. While I was yet a sinner, you died for me. I didn't choose you. You chose me. Today, I give you my life. I say yes to the invitation. I say yes to the call. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son and that he raised you from the dead. And I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a more good hand clap. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.